familiar faces from when I was here about a little over a year ago, but it's good to be back with you. I'm excited to be here this morning. Uh, you know, I just returned from a crazy trip this summer. Uh, you know, normally we try to do something for our family vacation during the summer. I have six kids, by the way, and uh, yeah, and one of them's adopted. We actually adopted a little girl named Anya from Russia when she was 11. She's now 20, and so then it goes from 20 all the way down to about 20 months. And one, one year, with all those little kids and Anya, we decided to do something really crazy and go to Disney World. And uh, it was like 100 degrees and, you know, standing in long lines all day and very expensive. I mean, I think we're still paying that trip off. And we, we had planned after that, we thought, you know, what would it look like? We're going to spend this much money and do something really significant as a family. What if we went overseas? And so we went to Africa for like 35 days this summer. And it was an incredible trip. I mean, the worst part of it was the, was the plane ride on the way over there where Hudson, the 20-month-old, is, you know, we gave him Benadryl. And I don't know if there's any, like, hyperactive people in here like me, but when you give somebody Benadryl who kind of has ADD, it has the opposite effect. And so about 11, 12 hours into the trip, he's jumping up and down and slapping me around, and, and I'm so exhausted, there's nothing I can do about it. But once we got there, an amazing experience for our kids, and so... Um, I want to share some of that with you this morning. But where this, this book uh, came from, this, this Red Letters book, is this whole idea of, you know, I, I've been going to school for years and years and years. I have a master's in theology. And, but one of the things I was never taught is this whole aspect of, of what it means to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world. And, you know, you hear all of these stories about, about poverty, extreme poverty, people, you know, third of our world's population lives on way less than a dollar a day. And you hear about disease that's preventable and treatable that we could be doing something about, but nobody really knows how. And I, I started looking at, at the red letter portion of the Bible. What did Jesus actually do when he lived here? Uh, what did he actually spend his time telling other people to do? And how do you see him reacting to the poor who he crossed, uh, who came across his path? And so really what Red Letters is about, especially the first part of it, is like, it's like having a handy cam on Jesus as he was walking through the streets of Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea. And there's one characteristic, I think, that identifies Jesus more than any other. You know, and it's not, it's not evangelism, and it's not all the things that the buzzwords in Christianity we may think. I think it's, it's one thing, and that word is Compassion. That you see, Jesus cared about people. I mean, he really loved people, especially the untouchables, especially the people that nobody else would have anything to do with. Those were the people that Jesus really reached out to. And so that, that's where this whole concept of, of red letters comes from. And I wanted to take one of those, those red letter passages and talk about it this morning. It's one of my, my favorite parables in the Bible. It's in Luke 10. And it's called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this parable of the Good Samaritan, it's more than just a good story. It's more than just something that's like, oh, that's, that's cute. That's nice. Jesus is, is talking to people about how to really live on this earth. What really matters. What's really significant. What's really important. And he lays it out. And, and what happens is that in, in Luke 10, verse 25, there's this expert in the law that that comes to Jesus. And this expert in the law is trying to test him. Now, this would have been a guy who'd studied everything that there is to know about the Bible. 
I mean, dug in. He's an expert. He knows everything that there is to know. Wouldn't have been a question you could have asked him that he wouldn't have known. And Jewish people were incredibly talented in this, right? They spent hours and hours, even as young kids, they had memorized entire books of the Old Testament. They could recite Deuteronomy to you at six, seven years old. So it says in Luke 25, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Okay, basically what he's going to try to do is catch him and make a fool of him. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Not a greater question that we could ask. Right, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me stop there. In those two short sentences, what Jesus tells him, he tells him is the most important thing about living. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You may have heard of things, this passage called the golden rule. If you do that, you don't need to worry about anything else. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I love communion. I don't know if you guys, you guys probably take communion here once a quarter or once a month or whatever. But I love reading ancient prayers. You know, prayers that have been prayed for thousands of years. And one of the first things, there's this kind of, before you come to, to communion, the table of the Lord, is this prayer of repentance. And, you know, I'm, the, I'm, I'm guilty of this big time, right? And, I, and so when I pray this prayer, I'm praying it and digging deep. And it starts out by saying, Lord, forgive us, for we have not loved you with all of our minds, with all of our hearts. And we've not loved our neighbors ourselves. You see, the point here, and what I'm about to share, share with you this morning, is not to give you guilt about anything. It's not, I'm not, my, the message this morning is not do more. It's not, you know, feel guilty. Guilt never does anything to people. But I think that we've got to, to readjust how we see our faith. Because what we're taught typically, what we've been taught over the years, is that we have to think our way into a new way of living. Here's what I mean by that. Study the Bible more. Pray more. Have more quiet time, whatever quiet time is. right? Do more, and then you're going to live different. That, that's not biblical. What, what Jesus talks about is a different lifestyle. You live your way into a new way of thinking. You don't think your way into a new way of living. See, this guy knew it all, right? He knew, love the Lord, I know what to say. And he probably, Jesus, what he probably did is he pointed at what was called the philosophy on his head because they actually wore this, they, they, they had all kinds of scriptures stuffed everywhere, you know, on their head and, and, and in there, you know, they had all kinds of symbolism in what they even wore. And so this is something that he knew, but he wasn't living. I think there's a huge lesson. There's a huge lesson for me in this. I know that's important. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbors myself. I have the knowledge, but do I have the living behind it? And so you know what I do now? Let me give you a, a real example. If I'm driving down the road and someone's standing on the side of the road with one of those cardboard signs that says, you know, need food or lost or out of gas or whatever, let me tell you what I used to do. All my biases would come, you know, flying to the surface. And I'd say, you know what? Colorado Springs, which is where I'm from, was where I'm from, has the greatest ministry to people like that around. You know, it's actually joked about that people who, you know, kind of, you know, need, need help, they come to Colorado Springs because they get so much money. And so my biases would say, well, you know what? He has, you know, there's plenty of programs that he could do, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. Or he might spend it on booze or whatever. But you know what that does to me? I'm just speaking personally. 
That just kills my compassion, doesn't release my compassion. So I try to find those people now, especially with my kids in my car, and I'll give them money. And they say, Dad, what are you doing? And I said, you know what, son? I have to give because I have to live it. I have to live what I'm talking about. And God says to me, for those of you who have, give to people who don't. He who has two coats, give to him who doesn't. And that's the lesson that Jesus is trying to get across to the people that are listening to him about the parable of the Good Samaritan and this teacher in the law. He's trying to say, are you really a neighbor? Are you really loving me by loving each other? By loving the people and the things in this world that so desperately need you. You're the answer to a lot of these things that are happening in the world. How do you read it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus said in verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? You see, this guy didn't want to know the truth. He was just trying to make a fool of Jesus. Jesus told him how to live and get the most out of his life. That the better thing than prophecy and gift of all these spiritual gifts and everything else, it all boils down to love. And how we love God is directly tied to how we love our neighbor. And then he tells him the story about a man who was left beaten on the side of the road. How do we look at our neighbor today? Is our neighbor, I told you we went to Swaziland, is that our neighbor? Is it only the person who lives across the street from us? How, how do we look at, at, at our neighbor who is suffering in our world with diseases like AIDS that is literally wiping out people by the millions in our country and around the world? Many of you are involved in Russia. There was over a 1,200% increase in HIV infections last year. In Africa, for every one person that we get in treatment, another six contract the disease. So in places like South Africa, where the population's 34 million, over 34% of those people are infected with HIV. You know what that means? That means millions of people, 13 million people are going to die from this. A third of their whole continent, of their country is going to be wiped out. In Swaziland, where we're really digging deep into this country, it has the dubious title of the highest HIV infection rate in the world, over 46%. And it's just wiped out an entire populations of moms and dads. And you go to that country and there's nothing but children. Children and older ladies called go-go's. What, what's our responsibility to that? What's our responsibility to the fact that 3 million people this year will die of a preventable disease called malaria? Nobody dies in America from malaria. But 3 million people in our world will. Who is really our neighbor? That's the question Jesus is asking. And we're going to find out the answer to that question through the parable of this good Samaritan. Before I jump into that, though, I want you to watch this video because this is about loving people. This is about us being the answer to a world in need and what, if any, responsibility that we have. What is our role and what does God call us to do? Watch this. Now, let me ask you a question. When you see a video like that talking about things that are happening in our world that are just ridiculous, would never happen in our own country. Part of that 6,500 Africans die every day from preventable, treatable diseases are things like malaria, things like tuberculosis. 16,000 children will die today because they don't have enough food to eat. You hear things like that. How does it make you feel? Tell me, I mean, out loud. How does it make you feel? Disgusted. Guilty. Frustrated. Hopeless. 
sad, amazed. It's, it's unbelievable, isn't it? That in our world, in the 21st century, these kinds of things are still happening? you got to be kidding me. And, and, you know, what I want you to get this morning is, honestly, I don't want the guilt trip. That is, guilt, feeling guilty never empowered anybody to do anything, right? This, this morning is about empowering you because I firmly believe that, that God has called us to make a difference in these kinds of issues, to change the world. That song that was sang in the very beginning, we can change the world. And I'm going to tell you how in the, at the end of this service. You can make a huge difference in what's going on. By giving $5 right now, we have a program going, you can provide 100 meals to little kids, orphans in Africa, who, who don't have food to eat. See, we can make a dent in these kinds of things together. And when Jesus said, you know, the, the apostles came to him and said, teach us to pray. And he used some, some of these words and he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. See, I really believe that. I believe that we are kingdom bringers to this earth, that every single one of us in this room have some role to play in that. Now, it may not be, you know, jet-setting all over the world and trying to, to, to make a dent in 143 million orphans' lives. It, it may be a city. It may be an inner city. It may be refugees live in Salt Lake. It may be a country. It may be a state. But God has something for all of us to do. And we're all Nehemiah in the sense that if you, I love the book of Nehemiah because in a hopeless situation, here comes Nehemiah and he sees the brokenness of the city and he says, well, I can do something. And he's rebuilding it with one hand and he's got a sword in the other to protect himself. But at the end of the day, the city became rebuilt and God's glory came to that place. That's all of our role to play. So here in this, in, in this parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to pick this up in verse 30. Because this guy wanting to justify himself, now Jesus tells him who his neighbor is. In reply, Jesus said, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This would have really happened, by the way. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was very dangerous. It, there was Arab hordes all over who would come in and like gangs, and they would just rip people off, beat them, and leave them. So people would have understood this is a highly probable event that could have occurred. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. What you need to know about that is that this would have been insulting to this crowd of teachers in the law. Because a priest was the one who represented God to them. He was the one who brought in the sacrifices. He was the only one who could go into the Holy of the Holies. The priest was the one. And so this is like saying that the priest, the one who represented God, was doing exactly the opposite of what God required him to do. This is basically like saying that some of your pastors here, Eric and Dave, are basically hypocrites, total liars. Because given the opportunity for Eric to help somebody, instead of helping them, he'd walk on the other side of the road and pretend like they didn't exist and leave them for dead. Right? This was not a happy thought. <laughs> this was not a good thing for Jesus to be saying. And then literally, the description here and how this reads is that he saw him, like he came upon him and saw the guy, shut down his heart and walked on the other side of the road as if walking on the other side of the road relieved him from any responsibility of helping the person in need and walked down the, walked down the opposite side. Then here comes a Levite after, after the priest passes. So a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. The Levite was the worship leader. 
It was the one who led people into the presence of God. And yet here he makes the same critical error. Now remember, this is all based on who's my neighbor? Am I really loving God by loving other people? And the, the definition of what that looked like is the priest and Levite were not. Then, verse number 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Now, here's what you need to know about this. Samaritan, saying that word in front of this group of Jewish people was like saying a cuss word. They hated Samaritans. Couldn't stand them. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. They were half-breeds. They were worthless. They, they were dirty people. And if anybody would have never been considered a, a neighbor to a Jewish person, it would have been a Samaritan. In fact, just uh, in chapter 9, a few chapters over, Jesus had, had tried to go to Samaria and he was sending a message into a Samaritan village to get ready for him because he was coming. But the people there didn't welcome him. They kind of rioted that he was coming. And the apostles said, you want us to call fire down on these dirty Samaritans and just burn them up? The world would be better off with them without them anyway. So, so this would have been fresh in their minds. So here comes a Samaritan. He sees the man and watch what he does. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, here's this dirty, filthy Samaritan who sees the man in need and lives out the gospel. He goes to him. He has compassion on him. Now listen, I'm sure he had stuff to do that day, right? He was probably going to a business meeting. He was traveling down this road. He had an agenda. He had things going on. But something superseded that agenda. And that something is that another human being was in need. You see, people are important to God. It doesn't matter where they come from, what color their skin, what they look like, what their financial situation is. We are all created in God's image. People have value. And the Samaritan was the only one who recognized it. And so he took out his provisions for the journey, the oil and the wine, and he poured it on his wounds. And he picked him up and he put him on his donkey. And he took him to an inn to take care of him. Paid all of his expenses stayed the night to care for this guy and woke up in the morning and said, if there's anything else that, you, that he needs, I want you to, to give it to him. And here's coins, here's money, and I'll pay anything extra when I come back. Which one do you think was truly a neighbor? Now, listen, the lesson in this parable, I think, is that our neighbor is whoever God brings across our path, right? Well, you're not responsible for all the needs of the world. But God brings things to you in the form of people who need help. Today, it looks like a lot of different things because there's ministries that K2 is involved in that you're going to hear about that you can get involved in, people in your own city that need help. I'm bringing to you these orphans from Russia, from Africa, who are desperate for things like food, you guys. You know, when I took my kids on this trip, as I was telling you, 
And we pulled up to this one area in what was called the Low Veld of Swaziland. How many of you have ever heard of Swaziland, by the way? You really, you have, wow. It's, it's kind of an obscure place. Not a lot of people have, have heard of it. It's a kingdom. It's one of the only monarchies left in the world. And, and so, you know, when we went there, I knew there were poor people, but I had no idea what I was going to experience. And so here I take my kids into these places, and we go to this one area, and we meet this pastor's name's Pastor Timba. And he said, Brother Tom, I've got this church over here and, and, and one in this real poor section, and there are widows all over this community who come to this church who are starving to death. I, I said, what? Surely he doesn't mean starving to death, like literally. I said, what do you mean starving to death? He's, I said, I mean that they, they're starving to death. They, they haven't eaten. And I said, well, can we go see them? He said, now? I said, yeah, now. So we loaded up. And we went to this store that was a sugarcane store because there's a big sugarcane plantation there that, that employs some of these people. And we just load up on 10-kilogram bags of rice and corn, and we're just throwing everything. People are looking at us with eyes like this because nobody shops like that over there. They don't have the money. And we go way out to this rural area where this church was, and we just pull up. And you know, here, the first lady we meet is this, this beautiful, wonderful grandma who's taking care of eight kids. Two of them are crippled. They're just in the dirt. It's the most extreme poverty situation I could describe to you. It's what you would think. You know, straw, mud hut in Africa, no food anywhere. And we just come up walking with this food. And this woman is so overwhelmed that she just, she falls on her, on her mud hut and starts weeping because they hadn't eaten in weeks. And we go to the next, next widow who's taking care of all these orphans. And, and I actually was interviewing her because the pastor said, do you want to talk to her? And so I happened to be filming this. And her name was Navula. And she started telling me her story, and she said, Tom, my, my husband is buried over here. He's dead with AIDS. And my six children are buried over here, dead from AIDS. And I'm left to raise all these, all these orphans. I said, Navula, when, when was the last time that you had a good meal? She said, you mean before you came here? I said, yeah. She said, do you mean, like, besides what we found on the ground to eat? I just thought, I mean, I'm just, I, just, I can't believe it that she's telling me this. And I said, yeah, you know, besides that, she said, two months. Two months. Now, you know, the crazy thing is, with these issues that you just saw in that video, is that what we found is to, is to keep these kids alive and to feed them in mass. You know how much it costs per meal? Seven cents. Seven cents a meal we could be fed. I mean, this is not a problem that can't be solved, Right? Uh, when somebody's dying from malaria, the difference between them dying and living is a mocha cappuccino. Five bucks for a pill, for medicine that will cure their malaria. See, it, it's not that we don't have the ability to make differences in these kind of situations. The question is, will we? Will we? And, and here's what I'm telling you, and I can promise you this because I've lived it and I've seen so many people's lives transformed. When you say yes to God on these issues, he loves the poor like nothing else. That's why you see scriptures like Matthew 25 that describe eternity. And the disciples say, Lord, tell us what the most important thing in life is. And he said, I'll tell you, all the nations of the world will be gathered together and I'll separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And as to the sheep, I'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. Sick, and you came to me. That's what matters to Jesus. So these issues aren't unsolvable. It's that do we have the will? 
And when we say yes to God on this, I mean it's an adventure that you wouldn't believe. I want to I introduce you to one of our partners in Africa. His name is Pastor Walter. Can you imagine living in a community where half the people were going to be dead in one to ten years? How would you be Christ's hands and feet? Because that's our role, right? That's the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Being Jesus means showing compassion. That's exactly what Walter does. And I want you to listen to what he says about how he helps these kids and what he does. You're going to see him in this video. He gives his, I, we captured this on video. He pulls out the only money he has in his pocket. And he gives it to this widow because she's out of money and out of food. This guy's the real deal. This is, if you ever come to Swaziland with us, and you want to know who we're feeding these kids through, thousands of kids throughout Africa, it's Pastor Walter. But listen to what he says about who our neighbor is and how to be God's hands and feet and the vision that he has for a country that's dying, that, that literally is going to be a nation, a generation of children running this country. Watch this. How can those kids be smiling and laughing? You know why? Because people like you are bringing hope. It it's, comes across in food, it comes across in going, it comes across in help, but the, their world is being transformed because people are being the hands of Jesus, they're being a good Samaritan. And Mother Teresa, who I, is just one of my, my heroes, and here's what she said, the dying, the crippled, the mentally ill, the unwanted, the unloved, they are Jesus in disguise. Through the poor people, I have an opportunity to be 24 hours a day with Jesus. Every AIDS victim is Jesus in pitiful disguise. Jesus is in everyone. AIDS sufferers are children of God who have been created for greater things. She wrote that in Time magazine. You know, I firmly believe that. You know, God calls us to help the poor. And he says that that's me that you're helping too. As you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. And not only is it the message of the Good Samaritan, but it's the character of our Savior. You know, one of my, one of my favorite passages is that passage in Mark that, that these lepers come to Jesus and they're, they're dying and they're, their skin's rotting off their body and they're yelling unclean and no one would go around them. It was the height of rejection. And yet Jesus went to them and he touched them and he said, he says, deeply moved, compassion flowed out of Jesus. He said, I am willing be clean. So the question for us this morning is, will we be a good Samaritan? Will we respond to the needs of our world or will we walk on the other side of the road? And I told you this is about action and empowering you because I, 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 want, I wrote this book because I wanted people to feel like, you know what, I don't want to read another book that's going to make me feel guilty and I don't know what to do now. Okay, great. Thanks for heaping this on me. But that you could feel like, you know what, I can do something to make a difference. So there's several ways I'm going to lay them out. You're going to hear, from, hear some more from Eric. But one is that this book was more about anything. It's about the message of what Jesus called us to do. So when you buy the book, profits have been given up so that when you buy it, and there's a sticker on it, you feed an orphan for an entire month. Just by buying the book, you can feed an orphan for a month. Next of all, with what you're doing here locally, is um, the books were given to you guys at cost, and then the rest of the money... From, from cost to retail, goes to help your program in Russia, or in your missions department. Could be Russia, could be locally, but it's going to go to your mission budget. That's another way. Secondly, 5 for 50, you saw that. It's a campaign that we started. You can go get a bracelet. It says 5for50.com. It's five simple ways that any of you can stand in solidarity with almost 50 million people who are dying with AIDS around the world. You can stand and do something for the poor. Number one, pray five minutes a day. Anybody can do that. 
right? Pray five minutes a day and just make it, make it a point to say, God, I'm going to pray for others who are suffering. I'm going to be a good Samaritan. Number two, fast five hours a week. <gasps> skip a meal? Yeah. You know, it's biblical, right? Just skip a meal at some point during the week and use that time to remember other people who have no food. And let God see. It's also, it's not just that experience, but it's what God does because there's something strangely spiritual about fasting where God just arrests your heart. Fast five hours a week. Number three, give $5 as a starting place, either one time or monthly to five for 50 or another great organization. Now, I told you what we're doing with that $5 right now is $5 provides 100 meals for kids, right? So $25 will provide 500 meals for kids who don't have food. You know, we might say, Tom, how can they not have food? Well, imagine everybody's dead, no parents, total poverty, no way to make money. How, how, do you eat? how do you eat? What do you do? I, I mean, I know I've talked to these kids where their only option for many of them is to sell themselves for a loaf of bread. That is not Hollywood. That's a fact. But when it becomes to you, know, you, you getting a disease that you may or may not know about versus starving to death, it, it, the terrible choices that children should never have to make. And so we are there as an organization saying, listen, we're, no, 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 no. Kingdom of God's come into this place and there's going to be food. And so what we're trying to do is to get 243,000 meals. It's a huge container and ship it over there. And that's, so that's exactly where that money's going right now. Number four, give five days of your next year to serve. Be a good Samaritan and serve people who are suffering in your own communities that you're going to be able to find out about. Uh, go overseas, go to Russia. Listen, you guys have, a, have sponsored uh, two orphanages, and I am so thankful that you guys have done that. You're, gonna, you're transforming the lives of kids, and I'm sure you've heard the stories of people who have went. But there are still 35 kids who don't have sponsors. Okay, this is, this is uh, Luba. Now, we don't mass market sponsorship as an organization. The, Luba belongs to K2. So if somebody at K2 doesn't sponsor her, she doesn't get sponsored. That's how it works. The money goes to help all the kids, but she doesn't have a personal relationship and letters and connection. I know you guys can take care of 35 kids today. And so that's another way. Go out there and as a part of your family, adopt little Lubas from the other side of the ocean. Tell her she's important. It matters to her. Uh, number five in the five for 50 is get five of your friends and influence them to join you on the journey. Start a revolution yourself. Blog. I don't know if you, you know, I started blogging and I thought it was a nutty deal, but I have people from all over the world that I'm able to give them God's heart for the poor because of a blog. In the book, it tells you how to do it. Start a small group here at K2 for a local community ministry or an international ministry, really getting involved with this AIDS crisis and showing compassion to those who are suffering from this disease. See, you can do something. You can do something. The last verse I want to tell you, Revelation 22, 12. I think this matters more than anything in the world, this kind of ministry. Ministry to the poor, because we get to help Jesus. He identifies himself, says, I am the poor. But it also is what's going to matter most in eternity. And Isaiah twenty two twelve says, look, this is the words of Jesus saying, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay, to repay all people according to their deeds. Do your deeds matter? Yeah, you better believe they matter. They matter a ton. What we do to quote Gladiator, in this life, echoes in eternity. You can join Five for 50. You can feed an orphan by getting the book. You can sponsor a child. For all you coffee drinkers out there, we've started something else called Saints Coffee. And we're gonna help you be a good Samaritan. We're also gonna help you be a saint. 
Very simple, very simple concept. Saints Coffee, only the top 3% of coffee in the world is good enough to make it. So it's super good, fresh roasted. You order it, two days later it's sent to you. It's trade free. So free trade coffee that, you know, that people are paid and they're not taken advantage of. It's organic. And when you buy a pound of this coffee, you feed an orphan for a month. So literally when you're drinking a cup, you know that that cup is helping to feed an orphan for that day. Lots of ways. But I want, I want to pray with you because I believe in a God who's active and is among us. And if this stuff is touching on your heart and tugging on you this morning, one of these areas that we've, that we've mentioned, I know God will show you a way to make a difference. And it's the beginning of a journey, but I'm telling you, it's the greatest journey you could ever go on because you join God in the things that he cares about most. Pray with me if you would. Father, you know, I, I, this is a loaded message this morning. And the things that we're talking about are, are difficult. And, you know, Lord, I know I'm speaking for so many people here that when we see these kinds of things, like, like all these people dying because they don't have food, 38% of the world is malnourished. People are dying from malaria, tuberculosis, diseases we eradicated a long time ago. It's heartbreaking. But Lord, take that, that heartbreak and that righteous indignation, that anger, and help us turn it into something positive. Help us to know that we can do something to change the world. With your help, we can transform societies, our communities, if we'll just have enough love in our hearts to love our neighbors ourselves. That's the bottom line. And God, we can't do that alone. We need your help. We don't have it in us by ourselves. So Holy Spirit, fill us with your love for people. Give us the ability to go beyond what we can do on our own and show us how we can change the world by just listening to you and obeying. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thanks guys. It's great being with you this morning. And normally we'd go into a time of worship, but we're gonna do something a little different. Because this morning's worship experience is going to be about you hearing what God is doing through people at K2. To hear about what's happening locally, to hear about what's happening internationally, and how God's using that to change people's lives. And it's an invitation for you to plug into. And so the ushers are going to come forward right now and we're going to take the offering. But if you're a visitor, this, this isn't for you. You're our guest this morning and we don't want you to feel any guilt whatsoever to put anything in the offering. This is for those of us who call K2 home. And so they're going to come forward, and Eric's going to come up and, and introduce you to somebody who's had his life changed by one of these experiences. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, just even having now uh, listened to that for a second time, uh, still a lot of emotions. I'm still just processing and feeling challenged uh, by what we heard. But I want to just take a, just a moment and share with you uh, something that you know, Dave shared with a group of us uh, a couple days ago. And, and this, is what we're, this really is about what the last part of the service is all about. And uh, you know, in Romans, it says, uh, your faith is being proclaimed around the world. And I want you to know that there's a whole lot of you in here that have been on our trips or have supported the people going or don't made donations in, in many other ways to help us go to Russia and to Honduras and to New Orleans and uh, you know, to the Dream Center and to Pioneer Park and all these other places. And so I hope that, uh, that you will get a chance just to enjoy a little bit of this, the end of the service and realize that what we're sharing is your faith being proclaimed around the world. Well, I got Miles here with me, and uh, 
if you don't know Miles, I'd encourage you to get to know him. Um, and if you're starting to talk to him and also doesn't seem like you're talking to him, it might be his twin brother. So um, we get him confused. But Robbie's a great guy, too. So either one of them would be fun to visit with. But, but uh, Miles has been to Honduras now three times. And, um, you know, Miles, you know, I've been there twice. And, 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 you know, in some ways you think, well, gosh, we're going to do the same thing. But it's, it's never quite the same each time. Um, so share with us a little bit about what, what did you guys do this time, um, and what, how did you see God use that? Well, uh, first of all, just what we did was, um, well, we were on layover in Dallas um, on the way to Honduras, and uh, me and Holly and Robbie went early to set up some of the medical ministry stuff. But uh, So we, were, we had a little time to talk and pray and stuff, and we were praying, um, and our major prayer was that, um, you know, God just let us step into your heartbeat and like places where your heart is broken and, you know, love us or love people through us. And I totally felt like that was completely answered and it was just displayed right in front of me. And it was just, it didn't feel like we were going to go do things and stuff. It felt like, I mean, the first trip, it was kind of the mentality of, of, of I mean, was just that I was going down there to like build a wall or whatever. I didn't really know what was going on, but it was, I was going to go do something. But I came back and it was like, no, I kind of watched it happen, and it was done through me, and I know that sounds like cheesy or whatever, but, <laughs> but like, uh, it was just the most amazing experience, and uh, oh, so, so basically, <laughs> what we did um, was, we, there, there's these families that um, live in this place called Los Pinos, which is one of the um, really just kind of dangerous areas, and just a bad neighborhood, and 40% of their income goes to water, and buying water and getting water, and they walk, you know, forever to get water and get these huge jugs and haul them up the hill and hike to their houses. And so uh, we built for two families a water system where rain comes off the roof and goes into this little purification system. And uh, and then we there's this this house that was on this hill, and the hill was eroding, and uh, so the house was kind of going with it. And so we built a retaining wall for it, and uh, also we did VBS, which is um, <laughs> vacation Bible school, which is, uh, we just did, uh, like, uh, we had a lot of kids, like 200 kids come down to the, the church, that, which is right on the border of their neighborhood, and we um, just told them about the love of God, we loved on them, we played with them, and it was just so, so cool, and we, yeah, I was saying this in the last service, like, we did all this stuff, like, we built all these things and did all this stuff, but it really wasn't about that, it was so about the families, and when we left, we were all, I mean, crying, they were crying, yet we can't even speak their language, they can't speak our language, yet, yet we were just so close by the end, it was just all about the relationships of the people. Well, and it, it's just, with the other part that's really cool is that um, not only did the team build these two uh, water pur- purification systems, but they, they taught one of the men there how to do it, he was working along with them so that he can now continue to do that in his community. And it also provides him with income and work um, to, to be able to continue to do that. So it's, it's something that we've been able to see our, our time there and the things that we do, um, God can continue to use and to move um, and, and help uh, people you know, advance down there. But what's cool, so, you know, Miles here is uh, it's 17, and uh, one of his passions is video. And, uh, and so along with being a part of the team, he was able to go down and, and, and capture a lot of the trip on video and then come back. And he put together um, a clip that we're going to take a look at. 
and uh, and watch. So uh, I'm proud of them. It's a it's a it's a great clip. But you're going to get to see the things that they did: the water, the the VBS, uh, the the building the wall, and then even uh, be able to enjoy a couple of the baptisms. So let's just take a minute. Can I explain a one little small uh, part? Sure. Okay. I know we're running out of time. Okay. So um, this song that I put on the back, I was thinking about this the whole trip. Well, half the trip because the first half, it was like. Um, all this stuff was happening, you know, we were seeing and we were feeling God loving these people. And then um, I heard this song and it was like, it's talking about God's thunder and uh, just the power of God. And it was like, I, every time I heard him say thunder, I saw the faces and I saw the, the people that we know now and, the, and just like what we did and what God did. And it was like, we, he used us as his thunder. Yeah. It's, it's kind of an abstract concept, but <laughs> it was like, Maybe it'll help you kind of understand what I'm trying to say. I don't know. Anyway. Let's enjoy it. (laughs) Well, halfway around the world, last summer, uh, we were able to take a trip to Russia. This is the second year we've been doing this. And uh, I was able to lead a, a trip with... Bunch of folks to Yurvitz. Yurvitz is about nine hours northeast somewhere of uh, Moscow. I say somewhere because we just kind of get on a bus and we randomly wake up and they say get off and that's where we spend uh, our, our time. It's uh, on the edge of the, the Volga River, which is uh, just a beautiful spot. Meanwhile, Wendy uh, was with the team and she went to Holoi, which is somewhere between where we were, where we're not really sure where that is, and Moscow. And uh, so we traveled together to Moscow with, uh, how many people did we have? Was it 30-something? I don't know. Something like that. And there was a whole gaggle of us, and then we, uh, we split up and uh, two different teams, one to Holoi, one to Yurovitz. Holoi is with the little kiddos, uh, so preschool, elementary, very young. Uh, Yurovitz, where, where I was at, is, is pretty much teens. And uh, so share with us, Wendy, what, uh, what did you see God do? Where was his hand moving? I think um, it was probably with the deepening of the relationships that we'd already started with the orphanage staff and the translators and, of course, the children. But uh, when we pulled up in the driveway the first day, uh, because I'd been before, I felt like I was pulling up into an extended member's driveway. And some of the staff was outside waiting for us with open arms. And um, the very last day that we're there, they give us a lunch. And they had, uh, over the last couple days, actually started to share personal stories about their lives and... Uh, one of the women brought in a home video because I'd been asking her questions about the town she was from and the history of the town. And um, they, they told us we're like their family now. And um, it's, that, that was really special. And also with the translators, three of the translators have been with us on all three trips. And honestly, they're like brothers and sisters to us now. Uh, many of us who've been on the teams uh, exchange emails with them on a regular basis. And we're even trying to get one of them to come and visit us in October or November. Um, but that's been really very, very awesome, too, because it's given us an opportunity to share for the first time with these guys what it's like to be a Christian and, and who God is, and because somehow we seem different to them. <laughs> but, and, of course, with the kids, um, the most awesome thing about returning is that now the kids know we're coming back. Um, we tried really hard this time to think about something special to do for the fourth graders because at Holloway, after fourth grade, the kids get transferred to another orphanage. And we wanted to make sure that we had some way of strengthening that relationship even though they were leaving. And we had put together these really neat 
scrapbook photo albums that some of you helped us fill. Um, we had letters and scripture verses, and we took pictures during the week with the kids. And then on our last day there, we actually pulled the fourth graders into a room and had a little special time with them and had them look at their books. And um, we were all crying. There's a lot of crying on these trips. <laughs> but um, We found out a couple weeks later, one of the fourth graders was not there because he was at another camp. And he was given his book a couple weeks later and one of our translator friends sat down with him and he made her write a note back to every single person who'd written in his book. And of course, most of those people were people he'd never met, but that's the kind of impact that, that we have on the kids. I think uh, the most amazing thing that uh, our team experienced in Yervitz this summer was how we were received. Uh, last year, when we showed up, um, the, the whole idea of Westerners coming to this little tiny village uh, is pretty foreign, and they, uh, they really hadn't interacted with many Westerners. And so, as we showed up, they were very standoffish. Uh, the kids that we're ministering to, I should mention, are, are, they're pretty jaded. They've been in the system for quite some time. It's, it's it really is survival of the fittest. And so, this year when we showed up, though, we already had a year with them previously, and so they ran. They totally ran to us. Um, uh, in particular, uh, a little girl that uh, our family uh, sponsors, her name is Katya. I think she's eight, maybe nine now. Last year, um, she wasn't there. She was two hours away. So here we are, go all the way around the world to, to be with uh, these, these beautiful Russian kids, and she was two hours away. So I did not get to meet her. This year, when we pulled up, she came running for me. We'd never met before, but see, we had written letters and sent pictures, and as she ran, she had our letter, and she had pictures of us, and she ran up to me, and she said, bet, bet, bet. She was looking for my wife, Beth. I can't get the uh, TH thing down in, in Russia, so it's bet, and, uh, and she just so, so badly wanted our whole family to be there. Well, for the next several hours, just completely connected at the hand. She would not uh, leave my side. I think uh, I remember uh, uh, one moment so we disconnected hands, and I think my hand went into my pocket, and she fished, fished my hand back out and <laughs> held on to it again. Uh, towards the end of the trip, she looked up at me, and, and uh, she said, Daddy. The, she is just, they're starving, just starving for, for a relationship. Uh, the other great thing, and, and I'll end on this, that uh, took place while we were there is uh, we gave them all journals and uh, had them write their story. And, and it just impressed upon them that, you know what? You don't feel like your story is that great. You're an orphan. Uh, people are telling you your story isn't that great. Society is, is impressing upon you that it's not that great. But God redeems your story, and your story is valuable. And uh, they got to write their stories down, and we got to read them. The pain, the intense uh, trauma that a lot of them have gone through is just overwhelming. But a lot of them end well because of what Children's Hope Chest is doing. It's pretty amazing. That just reminded me of something. Do you know what the definition of sponsor is? No, I don't, Wendy. You should tell me. <laughs> it means to pledge. But I also found out that the Latin root cause uh, also has to do with to respond. And I thought that was so appropriate that as sponsors, that's what we're doing. We're responding. Um, at Halloy, they don't call us sponsors anymore. We're their American friends. And I just thought, okay, I, th I think responding as a friend means writing letters and praying. And I thought, wow, can you imagine being the only person in the entire world praying for this child that you sponsor? That's, that's pretty amazing. And, and I don't know about you, but if I only had one friend in the entire world, 
I sure would like getting a letter each month. So that, that, uh, that had a lot of impact in me. But when we went in January, the girl that I sponsor, her name is Anya. The very last day that we were there, um, we were hugging goodbye and um, both trying not to cry. I was trying very hard not to cry, and she said, um, I was looking for a friend, and I found one in you. And those words stuck with me. They actually haunt me many nights. And um, I just know that um, it, it's God's will that I do whatever I can to have an impact in this girl's life. Well, speaking of sponsorship, out in the lobby after the service, make sure you stop by the Russian table. And uh, Tom uh, had mentioned earlier that there are 35 orphans available for uh, sponsorship. Actually, that's not true, Tom, and it's now 17. Isn't that awesome? 17, and I'm hoping that we can actually tell the third service that there are none left. And here's the beautiful part of this sponsorship is that not only you, can you be involved in, in, in a young child's life and write them, and they will write you um, and send them pictures, but you can actually go in person and be with them and put some real, real skin behind this, this deal. And so I invite you to, to join us if you're interested um, to, to let us know if you want to go to Russia with us uh, next summer, and uh, we'd love to have you. We'll spin the globe all the way back around, and uh, right here in the United States is a huge mission field and uh, great ways to show compassion. So I'm going to bring back Eric as he uh, talks about Narlins. Well, I've asked John to come and, and join me. Uh, this was uh, John's first uh, opportunity to head down to, to New Orleans. And, uh, but there's, just, there's a lot going on, and we all heard about it. Um, but uh, sometimes I think it, it, we don't always remember what's going on. So, but John, uh, this being your first trip, tell me about it. Uh, what, what did you guys do there, uh, and what was it like for you? Well, we went down there to, uh, to serve God. And uh, we all had several different gifts that we took with us um, to do that with. And we uh, did a lot of mucking out houses, oily, smelly, moldy places. And uh, we did a little bit of carpentry work, a little bit of electrical work. Um, and then in the evenings, we had devotionals uh, back at Crossroads. And... Um, we uh, ended up leaving that place with more than what we took, though. Um, we had a different outlook, and we brought back more gifts. And uh, we learned a lot of compassion, and we developed new passions. And it was just wonderful. Our hearts were changed. So, um, if there was one thing, though, that you would, you would want to tell us, uh, not about the trip... Uh, but that we need to know about New Orleans, what would that be? Oh, I'd want you to not forget. Uh, it's not been in the news very much lately. Uh, it's been two years now since Katrina. There was a tornado went on when we were down there. I just don't want people to forget. Um, get out there and volunteer and serve, you know. Um, there's disease and uh, AIDS and famine worldwide, but we also have natural disasters, and these people are valuable to God, too, and we need to help them. We need to show a presence down there. You know, it was interesting to me, just uh, not too long ago, I, uh, I think I was listening to a, a news program on TV, and, and they, made, they were talking about New Orleans, and uh, they made the comment that uh, if it wasn't for the help 
of the nonprofit religious community, um, New Orleans wouldn't even be anywhere close to being rebuilt as it is now. And it's still, <clears throat> excuse me, it's still a long ways to go. But, uh, but it's, it's, it's organizations like K2 and many others all over the country that are actually in there making a difference and, uh, and helping them kind of pull their lives back together. Because, you know, we go to Honduras and, and, and man, the people there live in some pretty desperate situations. Um, and they, they do also need our help. Um, but what's different there is that, that but that's the way of life. That's, it's always been that way for them. And we hope that we can give them hope and, and, and help improve that. But the folks in New Orleans are living much the same way right now. But that hasn't always been their life. And I think that makes it even that much more devastating because it's not something that uh, was the way they used to be living. So we're not going to forget. we got a team heading back down there this, in November. You can visit them uh, out at the table, hear about it. There's flyers out there at all the tables um, that uh, give you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about how can you get involved. Uh, even if you can't go, uh, because not everybody can go, there's a lot of ways you can get involved right here. So grab a flyer when you're out there. Uh, it's not just about New Orleans, but actually all of our trips, um, and learn for ways that you can get connected. So thanks, John. Thank you. Yeah. Um, one more, uh, one more group I want to bring up here is uh, I want Carmen a and Haley uh, to come and join us, or join me. And um, the uh, the youth group here um, went on an urban mission trip, and so they they took a week and uh, and served right here in Salt Lake City, and uh, went and worked with the Dream Center, uh, went and served with the uh, the homeless, and then did projects also at people's homes around the area that, uh, that they just could use a hand. And so I heard a lot of uh, incredible stories about this trip. And uh, Haley, you and I were talking earlier, and uh, I'd love for you to share a little bit about one of the moments and experiences that you had on this trip. Um, it's really hard to pick one moment because <laughs> like every single thing that happened was really impactful. But there was one time like towards the end of the trip, we were doing like a city scavenger hunt type of thing. And one of the things we had to do was take a homeless guy out to lunch. So we went down by Gateway and um, saw this guy sitting on the ground with a homeless and hungry sign. And we went up and talked to him for a little bit and asked him how he was doing and then asked him if he wanted to go to lunch with us. And he like looked at us with just shock. And <laughs> he like asked us if we were really serious. and. We said, yeah, of course we are. Like, where do you want to go? And he looked at us with this huge smile and said, so the youth does have a heart. Awesome. And so what, what was lunch like? It was awesome. Like, we connected so well with everything. And he's just a normal guy. We're not far off from, like, where he is. And he just made some mistakes that brought him down. And <laughs> we just connected really well. And, yeah. That's cool. And so just is opportunity just to kind of break down some of our barriers, you know, some of the things that we, you know, because somebody might look a little different. We have, you know, sometimes fear getting connected. So way to go. Thank you. And Carmen, you were one of the leaders on the team. And uh, I know you were sharing with me uh, just an experience that happened at the end of the trip. And so would you share that with the rest of us? Sure. Um, <clears throat> part of what hit me and also what uh, Tom talked about today was that for me, I was walking on the other side of the road of homeless people and teens. I just felt um, I didn't have a connection with them. I didn't understand them and <clears throat> just no interest. So 
I think it's ironic now that God would place me as a leader in the teen ministry, so it's been very exciting. Um, so a lot of things happened on the trip, but I think the thing that stands out for me when I was asked this question was uh, the last night <clears throat> we all came together with the teens, and, the, and Ryan asked each one of us leaders to come up front, sit in a seat, and have the teens take turns uh, building us up, paying us compliments, what they enjoyed about us. And I just remember sitting in the back of that room, and I was probably one of the last to come up. And uh, I had a, a good upbringing, but not a lot of encouragement and not a lot of you know, building up in that way. And so I just remember sitting back there and I was so terrified. Like I was in so much pain. I just wanted to get up and leave because I knew that, you know, I was there and I was doing what I wanted to do, but these teens didn't love me. They didn't care about me. They didn't, I didn't offer anything to them. And uh, I, I was overwhelmed <clears throat> with the response. But what I'm taking from that is that as an adult leader, I realized that I still long to be loved, you know, and the teens, you know, through that week, I just realized how much they longed to be loved and how many of us treat them like I was treating them, just kind of ignore them. And then the homeless people on the streets are just incredible. It's incredible that they're just like you and I. And when, you, when we hear their stories, they used to be like me, and then one little thing happened, and, and they're homeless now. And so even if I can't have lunch with them every day now, when I, when I pass them on the street, I don't ignore them because I can't offer them a dollar, but I look at them in the eye and say hello, and I just think that's my way of loving them for now. So is this something that you uh, think you're going to do again? We've spent some time with the teens, and we've committed to that. We go to Lake Park. Uh, you'll see some of that in the video. On the 19th of this month, on a Wednesday, with a teen group, we'll be going down there. We're going to have a, a big screen and a projector. We're just going to hang out with the kids, love them, and watch a movie. So you're all welcome to join us. Okay, thank you, guys. And uh, we're going to take a minute and uh, watch a clip, and we'll share a little bit more visually about what, what did our youth group do uh, right here in Salt Lake. So enjoy this.